Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Welcome to this special episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. This is a two-part episode, and by that I mean there are two parts within this one episode. The first part explains a special program that our team at RASC Australia has been working on, and the second part features an interview with a founding CEO whose company is listed on the ASX. I think you'll like both parts of this episode. As many of our long-term listeners will know, my day job is being an analyst, covering ASX and global shares, and then providing that research to our premium members. This, of course, is in addition to all of the extra things that we do, such as our courses, our news sites, our ETF sites, all of the different things that we do. But in June 2020, we launched a new investment service, which provided investment research on 10 of our highest conviction small caps from the ASX. We called this service RAS Rockets. It's a name which I think encapsulates the risk, but also the potential rewards that could be up for grabs in many small cap ASX shares. What I mean is some of these rockets will fail, others might hold their own, but maybe after five or even 10 years from today, there's a chance that one or two of these companies might truly take off. Initially, we accepted up to 100 investor members into the RAS Rockets 2020 research service because we are keenly aware that having too many investors trying to buy or even sell small cap shares at one time can result in share prices rising or falling quite dramatically. Given that the initial opening of the RAS Rockers 2020 service was a success, and we attracted many DIY and private investors, some fund managers, and even other analysts, we've decided to reopen our RAS Rockets service for one final intake of just 100 members. As one really successful investor who became a member put it to me, and I'll paraphrase, I joined because even if one or two of your ideas turn out to be a good idea, the membership fee will be great value. This is a premium service designed for enterprising investors who, like me, have a higher than normal risk tolerance. This is not designed for traders or beginner investors. It's for investors who align with our philosophy of buying to own shares of great companies for a very long period of time. Before I let you go and before we get into the interview, there are a few things you should know. Number one, I recorded Zoom interviews with six of the CEOs or founders we chose for the RAS Rockets program. So for example, if you go into our website, you will find a full write-up, but then you'll also find an interview. The way I think about it is if we're doing an analyst interview anyway, why not let you, a potential member of our service, see and hear the interview take place? In my opinion, there's nothing quite like hearing it from the guy or gal who founded the business and or runs it. It fills in so many of the blanks and helps you understand their personality, management style, transparency, and maybe even their integrity. That's why many good professional fund managers that you hear from on this show say that they must interview the CEO. Unfortunately, I know it's not easy for everyone, but particularly small private investors, to get an interview with an in-demand CEO. Oftentimes, you'll find that many of the CEOs you don't want to speak to are more than happy to speak to you. 
That's why we decided to include the videos for our members. The second point I want to make is that I don't own shares in the company that you're about to hear from. As much as I want to, I have to wait at least five full trading days after the second intake of our Rockets program before I can buy shares. This is our own self-imposed trading rule. We do this for transparency. Please do not listen to this interview. This is point number three. Please do not listen to this interview and go away and just buy shares on what you hear. That would be a mistake. We are not suggesting this company and its shares are right for you, your investing goals, and definitely not your situation or your risk tolerance. You should always consider the risks and speak to a professional before you invest in anything. Finally, and this is the part that's really good for you. Everyone who listens to this podcast will be able to access this full video interview. So you can go into your podcast player, click on the link and watch the interview, not just listen to it. You can watch the full interview and you can get access to our 3,500 word research report. All you have to do is follow the link in your podcast player. There are no catches. It just goes to a web page on our website. In the full report, which is freely available to you and the public right now, you will find our company research, some background on it, our product due diligence, industry information, the useful resources we looked at, some valuation material and forecasts, the risk factors that we or I consider to be most important, and so on. That's all available to you in the link in your podcast player. If you like our research and you want to learn more about joining Rast Rockets 2020, I highly, highly encourage you to go to the link in your podcast player and register your interest in joining our small cap program. But I cannot guarantee that everyone who registers will get a seat. The last time we launched Rast Rockets, our website crashed. A final note for clarity and transparency before we get to this interview. This interview was recorded quite a few, quite a few weeks ago, maybe a month from the time this goes to air. It was not long after the world's stock markets began to emerge from the coronavirus market crash, if you could call it that. With many of our interviews, I deliberately asked all of the CEOs not to mention their financials or dwell on recent results. Of course, we talk about the sales process and the opportunity, but we are business first long-term investors. And we believe that a CEO's job is not to talk about financial results or recent financial results, but to decide upon and execute a sound business strategy. The future is an uncertain place, so remember to do your own homework before investing. Without further ado, here's my Zoom interview with Ralph Heinem of Volpara Health Technologies. Ralph, thanks for, for joining me um, for this interview. It's, it's my pleasure to, to be able to sit down with you and take a few moments for you to explain the, the, the brilliant business that you've created. Sounds good, Owen. It's good to, good, good to be here. I thought a really good way to frame the, I guess, the conversation, the genesis of the business is to hear more about you. I think people may have seen you around or heard from you in you know, various mediums, um, but I, I figure I just hand it over to you to explain a bit about your background, your academic study, and how that led to the formation of the business. So I, I did a, 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 an undergraduate in mathematics, and then I did an MSc in computation in the, in the UK at Oxford. I then uh, went on to do a PhD, and I was uh, you know, very good at maths, very good at computing, um, but uh, you know, getting inspired to do a PhD was difficult. I couldn't find a good subject. And then I met this guy, Professor Sir Mike Brady, who said his mother-in-law just died of breast cancer. Uh, breast cancer screening works. There has to be a better way of doing it, though, because it missed, missed the cancer in, in, in his mother-in-law. Uh, can we apply AI to those images? So that was back in Oxford in the 19, early 1990s. 
uh, to me, it was a revelation. It, it was opening up a whole world of, kind of doing good, but uh, you know, beyond maths and computing, it let me learn about the human body. And um, so, yeah, it was the PhD, and then I did a postdoc afterwards. In 2000, we tried to commercialize it in, in the UK, but the clinical world wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Clinical world takes time to catch up with technology, as, as I'm sure many investors are aware. So we switched from from breast imaging into brain imaging, which seemed much more uh, much more ready for AI at that point. And we were very successful. We sold the company in 2003 to a company called CTI, which was then brought by Siemens. At which point, my wife uh, is a Kiwi, and I moved from the UK to to beautiful Wellington, as you can see by that that photo uh, behind me. And then. Roll forward a few more years, 2009, um, after consulting for breast cancer screening around the world and many of the big medical device companies. 2009, I talked with uh, Professor Sir Mike Brady again, and we said, look, all the work we did 15 years previously, you know, women in the US and around the world you know, now desperately want that information, now desperately need that information. We need to go back, commercialize what we did, and get get those ideas and concepts and research you know, out out to these millions of women that, that really desperately want that information. It's uh, so I, I believe the Volpara business, as we know it today, it wasn't named Volpara originally. Is that correct? Yeah, we started off as Matakina Technology. Uh, the company in Oxford we called uh, you know, a lot of AI that we do is about computer vision. So the company in Oxford that we sold was called Marada, which is a Spanish word for vision. Uh, Matakina is the Maori word for vision. So we started off by calling this one Matakina technology, but the product was Volpara, which is volumetric parameters of the breast. So our key, the key thing we do is, is measure breast volume, volume of, of fibroglands of tissue, volume of fat in the breast. That's our core technology. And, and really what was worked out in my PhD uh, over time, though, it was become very clear very quickly that uh, the Americans, uh, which is the biggest market for what we do, uh, much preferred the word Volpara to the word Matakina. They couldn't really say it uh, easily, so we switched the whole company over to being Volpara. So we're now Volpara Health Technologies on the ASX, and we sell Volpara Density, Volpara Enterprise, Volpara Live, and so on. So perhaps a really good way to just guess get the lay of the land of the products in, in your suite is just to explain maybe the first product you, you've touched on it there and then how the suite has evolved over time to meet the demands of women around the world i always like telling the story mm-hmm. uh, in the 1970s uh the guy called john wolf in the u.s discovered that or, or come up with a hypothesis that breast density breast composition uh was highly highly correlated to breast cancer risk so he did a lot of work in the, in the 70s, and in my mind, he, he's a hero and he's a villain. He's a hero for spotting the link, but then he overhyped it. Mm. He overhyped the link, and that led to unnecessary medical procedures. And the whole world of breast, uh, breast composition measurement um, went into a field of kind of disrepute for 20, 30 years until more reliable measurements of breast comp- composition came through. Uh, we are world leaders. We have over 200 publications now in measuring breast composition, and the term most people now the, the term most people now use for breast composition is breast density. So that's the uh, percentage of the breast that is uh, fibroglandular tissue. And then the general gist is: the more fibroglandular tissue you've got, the, the more places there are for cancer to uh, to develop. 
uh, but also if a cancer does develop in a breast with lots of this um, fibroglandular tissue in or dense tissue, then it's much harder to see. So it's a real double whammy for women. In 2009, US women in particular started to realize this and started demanding all their radiologists tell them their breast density after each screening. So our first product and, and, and still one of our main products today is Volpara Density which objectively automatically measures and reports on a woman's breast density. So that's kind of where we started then. Uh, and it's, it was quite an interesting evolution from then. Um, you know, we put that out in the field and it was a real bellwether for us when um, we installed into Karachi and, and the site there, very bad image quality, really old machine, but the software worked extremely well. So that, that, that said to us, you know, the software, it's all, yeah, it's all well and good having concepts from a PhD, mm. actually making something work anywhere in the world takes a long time. So we were very happy to get to that point in Karachi. We started rolling that out, though, in the US and elsewhere. We got, got FDA clearances and started rolling it out. And then we started realizing that it worked very well, except for, for example, when, um, when there was very bad quality images, like extremely bad quality images, or when there was a pacemaker that appeared in the breast tissue, for example. And, and that led us in, into the whole idea of, well, let's try and improve the quality of the work that goes into breast density. Let's try and improve how people image the breast. And that led us uh, into quality control, and that led us naturally to our next product, which is Volpara uh, Enterprise, which is all the images flow into the cloud. Uh, we use Microsoft Azure. Mm -hmm. We're one of the first companies really to, to move onto the cloud, get the images go up to the cloud. And you can now log in there and you can see your whole enterprise. You can see how your technologists are performing in terms of quality, positioning, radiation dose. You can look at the productivity of your machines and, and, and so on. Then again, yeah, we started listening to customers, uh, which is critical. And, and yeah, we're big believers in agile software development. Uh, and they said, look, you know, we, we love enterprise. It's really helping us day by day. But uh, yeah, did you know two or three percent of all women come in, get an x-ray, go home, and then get, get a call back saying, this image is bad, please come back. And as soon as, I, as soon as I get that call, Owen, as soon as a woman gets a call like that, they think I've got breast cancer. Yeah, it's worst case. Yeah. And it's incredibly stressful for them, and it costs the site money, opportunity costs in terms of the x-rays. So that led us naturally to Volpara Live, which is a, a little device that goes alongside the x-ray machine. So after the x-ray is done, it pops up and says, these are good x-rays, you can send the woman home, or these are bad x-rays, redo the x-ray whilst the woman is here. So that's, uh, is that really kind of led to a whole stable of products you know, all, all around clinical decision support and making sure you know, the woman has the right imaging at the right time, uh, which is good. But then you know, all the way along, we realized this probably five years ago, it was fantastic to get all these images, but um, we didn't have the data to go alongside it. So we didn't know which of these women actually went on to develop breast cancer. Now being a kind of an AI to the core company, um, you know, we've been looking around to try and work out how to get some of that data to let us you know, really move into a whole new world of what we call predictive healthcare. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. And uh, we realized very quickly though, to, to get the data, we were gonna have to integrate with a, with a a data or patient tracking company. There was three of them in the US. Uh, we talked to all of them and uh, it became very clear that uh, just talking to them and trying to get integration going was going to be difficult. 
So I ended up buying one last year, a company called MRS in Seattle. So that, that really gave us data and the images all combined. Um, I think fair to say, you know, all these things take time to come to fruition, but over the last couple of months in particular, we've started to really see uh, some fantastic new kind of AI initiatives emerging in-house you know, as we've worked out how to technically combine all the data into one place, you know, what tools to use to generate the AI uh, and, and so on. So that's now leading us into a whole, whole different world. And if you remember, my story started off with uh, Mike Brady and, and his mother-in-law. Well, over time, you know, my sister-in-law died of breast cancer, my aunt died of breast cancer, but uh, more recently I've seen uh, many of my wife's friends uh, develop breast cancer uh, with, with, uh, with small kids. Mm -hmm. And you know, our aim now as a company is to start pulling that data, get into predictive healthcare, and try and predict at even age 30, 35, and say, look, you're very high risk of breast cancer, let's start screening you out. 35 or 40 or if you're very low risk say 55 or even 60 and then really try and help those those younger women yeah live a long life and, and uh, see their kids grow up so that's kind of my, my one of the things that's really driving us at the moment yeah i was going to say because you know you've been doing this for a while now it's become for the better part of your life's work here and i guess when i talk to founders or ceos i, th I always question you know, what gets you up in the morning? What makes you want to skip to work? Um, and I'm guessing for you, each, each time you, you hear stories like that or you, you see that in front of you, you think, you know, that's why we exist and this is what's getting me up and going to work every day. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, just in, you know, internally we have, um, you know, women come on and talk to the, the every now and then about their breast cancer experiences, for example, mm. and, and it is highly motivating. And a number of our team have had breast cancer had treatment for it and yeah. when you talk to them um, it's incredibly empowering and it's and it really does make you get up and, and want to you know want to get to a point where you can actually predict who's going to get it you know even before it develops mm. and, and that's kind of where my heart is and that's really the aim aim mm. of the company and again you know we've got the data now to actually do that which is a real exciting place to be for sure and um, we'll come to that and how that kind of plays into the future in, in a moment but one of the things that I guess our um, viewers and listeners will be interested to know is how do you, I guess you've taken, you've got this fantastic software. How do you then go and market it? How do you implement it? You know, what are kind of the nuts and bolts in that, I guess the sales cycle there? Yeah. Let's uh, talk about, well, no, actually, yeah, let, let's start, let's go, go through the sales cycle. So most, uh, my most, you know, our biggest market is the U S although we, we do a lot of work, in Australia and New Zealand. So we, we, we scan something like 300,000 women a year now in Australia and New Zealand, mm -hmm. which is great given our ambitions to help obviously the women close to us and about 10 million a year uh, over in the US. The sales cycle for us is uh, typically we'll meet a lead at a trade show. That, that is usually our first one. And that's obviously got challenges at the moment with coronavirus and, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, typically we'll go on site one visit and uh, between six and nine months we'll move from first contact through to PO and, and during that process yeah we'll, we'll have a champion internally that could be the lead radiologist it could be the the lead technologist who are the people that actually do the x-rays and, and then you know the breast imaging manager will, will take over that relationship and, and you know, there's two key things with US healthcare and healthcare elsewhere around the world one is 
proving that you can improve patient comfort, which we've got loads of evidence uh, around. So making it more comfortable, making it safer, showing early detection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right the way through then to actually showing that you can improve profitability at a site. And that's usually the breast imaging manager's job then to get that into the budget on the basis of improved profitability. And we have lots of good case studies now showing that. Um, I talked earlier about you know, cutting down the number of retakes, for example, saves the site $200 each time. So you support a PO, and then it goes to our customer operations team, which is now based in Seattle. That's kind of um, you know, the, the whole Seattle organization is customer operations. Mm -hmm. they, um, they make contact with the IT people. They'll typically set up a, a virtual uh, machine in the hospital. So that's usually pretty straightforward. We do that entirely remotely. The site will then ask the x-ray vendors to send the x-rays from their machines to Volpara. Uh, Valpara will then send out the results to uh, to the PAC system, which is the image archiving system. You know, for example, uh, you know, Visage, obviously, Promedicus is, is, is one such system in the US. Uh, we've been very fortunate in, in terms of uh, you know, hospitals talk, DICOM and HL7. They very much are standard languages, mm. and the integration uh, is extremely straightforward and easy to do. Um, you know, the, the thing that delays it is IT security forms. Uh, well, you know, we are very good at doing those now, and we are ISO 27001 certified, which is information security, which always helps. Mm -hmm. Plus, just getting the attention of the local IT people, and then it takes them you know, literally an hour or two to actually kind of you know, do the work. So, yeah, the integration part of it and the nuts and bolts is very straightforward. We are obviously doing a big push now to move to digital marketing instead of trade shows. Big push to doing complete remote selling rather than having people go on site. Mm -hmm. And we've moved all the training uh, that we do to remote as well. So in many ways, yeah, the things that have happened over the last few months have really helped us um, transform the business and get people used to uh, used to videos. Well, that's the thing. Like we're doing this remotely now, and. You know, hospitals, uh, radiologists, doctors, these are all people who deal in, I guess, tend to be high-pressure environments where they don't want to have IT system failures. They don't want to uh, do things in a new way unless someone else has done it. And I think now this is kind of the, you know, the impetus is back on them to adapt to these types of environments because it's kind of like a new normal in, in some senses. So it's interesting to hear how your, your, your business is evolving. You speak of you know, agile development, but also in the, in the sales cycle and this implementation process. How about when it comes to the actual contracts themselves? How do you form these agreements? Um, you know, is it a, a software as a service model or maybe it's a multi-year contract? How do you find those are received with your clients? Yeah, so we've been talking a lot over the last um, couple of months Owen, about uh, you know, resilience. You know, we're in a very resilient industry. Most breast cancer screening is, is now up and running again in the US and elsewhere. Mm. Um, resilient company because of the earthquakes we get in Wellington. So, uh, you know, from day one, we've been geared to working remotely and at home um, as necessary. But the other thing that we, we've really realized as well, we've got a very resilient business model. So we are software as a service and, um, you know, with investors over the last couple of years, we, we've, we've said really it boils down to the number of women that get screened, uh, which is true. But uh, if you go behind into the nuts and bolts of, of the contracts, uh, what we do is we sell uh, effectively seat licenses. So if there's four 
let's say there's four technologists mm -hmm. at a site, there'll be a certain fee for those technologists. There'll be a couple of license licenses for radiologists. There'll be a small installation fee, and then there'll be a small fee per woman as well. So from an investor viewpoint, it all kind of boils down to number of women because mm -hmm. more women you've got, the more technologists you've got. Mm. But, um, you know, I mean, over the last few months, and as you know, you know, most screenings stopped for a couple of, couple of months, for example. And um, if, if we were pay per click, uh, we, we would be, you know, we would have no income. Mm. But uh, all these contracts, typically five-year contracts, they're paid annually uh, in advance. And you know, the, you know, we've had very few, you know, cash collection has been excellent during this process. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had very few customers come back to us. Um, some customers, you know, a few customers have come back to us and you know, they've said to us basically, look, we've done none in these two months, but we fully expect to catch up over this time. And then so, yeah, there's been no request for refunds or deferrals or, or, or anything like that because of the way the, the kind of the, the whole um, yeah it's a SaaS contract but it's that annual subscription mm -hmm. plus there's only that small part in reality actually based on volume most of it's based on annual seat licenses yeah it's an interesting model and I, and I must say I really like it because you, you kind of get the best of both worlds you get you share in some of that upside in insofar as more more women going through and doing tests but also you get that sticky relationship um with the clients with the, with the hospitals with the radiologists with you know the technicians everyone um i've heard you say before that you know growing the i guess the or that just the cross-sell opportunities can be quite significant too going forward um but probably i hope you can maybe frame this in a way one thing that we look for is we look for businesses as you said resilient but businesses that kind of have that sticky recurring revenue, the ability to, you know, widen prices slowly over time as new features are added and, you know, for all intents and purposes, we call it a moat. How do you think about the opportunity set in front of Volpire today, cross-sell, um, not only in the US, but elsewhere? So uh, I'm going to pick up on that word moat uh, to, 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 to start with. Um, we are a SaaS company. But uh, you know, our, our moat really is intellectual experience or intellectual property, patents, trademarks, and so on uh, around what we do. So there's the, the and obviously regulatory hurdles as well. So so we, we have a we have a kind of you know a big competitive moat around us yeah. from uh, from day one. Um, I'm just going to mention a, a bit about uh, that SaaS, uh, some of the SaaS stuff as well, because it's of interest to me and probably to, to some of your viewers as well. When we listed in 2016, we did so to move to the cloud and to move to SaaS. At that point, no one else uh, basically in the world seemed to be uh, doing medical stuff as SaaS. And we were, even at that point, we were a capital company. Um, I think SaaS, the whole model, is, is extremely uh, beneficial to us. Yeah, we get more money. But I think it's also very beneficial to our customers uh, because of what you said there. And now, you know, now as a CEO, you know, I go to bed thinking about new sales, but also I think about churn. And so, you know, we, we really are intent now on, you know, not only getting new sales, but having very, very ha happy customers. I think so that SaaS model really is beneficial for us and for them. And then, and that then, yeah, I think customers love these updates we do because that really does build up that stickiness, proves we're listening, it proves we're changing, and we do try and push out, out you know, updates fairly fairly frequently. 
which can get tricky in a medical world, which is um, regulated, where, where you know, every, every change you have to really uh, document, document well and, and, uh, and prove. Um, so yeah, so Q1, Q2 in particular, uh, if you look at our, our, when we brought this company last year, that company MRS uh, had was capital sales with small uh, service and maintenance agreements. <clears throat> so if you look at where we are kind of now, we, we have 27% of the US market. Yeah, around 17, 18% of that is um, using the MRS software still, and they are paying the small SMAs. We are trying to convert them all over to SaaS. Mm -hmm. As we convert them to SaaS, we're also offering uh, integrated Volpara products as well, Volpara Density, Volpara Enterprise, and so on. So um, our sort of blended ARPA across that 27% is, is around or just over one US dollar. But most of the new deals we do sit between $1.50 and $3.50. So we have a huge upselling opportunity ahead of us. Um, obviously, with coronavirus, yeah, we, have, we, have a, we have lots of new sales to track down. But also, equally, then, we have that uh, big install base to go after to upsell into. And, and uh, we certainly have a big focus on that over this next period. Mm. And I think, you know, further afield from what I can see, the opportunities now that you can, you know, if I could maybe make it so basic as you have the data now available, the pattern recognition that you can you can do, the smarter the algorithms become and the better and more predictive those services become. You know, I, if I was sitting back and thinking about that, I think there's a tremendous opportunity there to help radiologists um, and, and women all around the world um, and do it in a way that's scalable and, and I mean, you're already on premise. So... There's an opportunity there, longer term too. Yep, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah every day we wake up now, and uh, yeah, we have a fantastic AI team here in Wellington, and um, yeah, the, the things we see them doing, the ideas that we're generating, yeah, not just to help the radiologist, but to help the breast imaging centre, and to help the woman, and to help the chief techs uh, using AI and, and, and really get into that data. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's simply amazing. Mm -hmm. yes. and, yeah, so as an AI person, you know, as a technology person, yeah, that, that is really exciting to, to watch that progress. For sure. One of the things that you recently put in the presentation um, for the full year was um, that shareholders, I, I like the way you frame it insofar as, you know, these are our financial results, but these are the, this is the impact that we've also had thanks to your support. And I think that's a great way to frame the business that you've created is, you know, there's, there's a potential rewards here for shareholders, but I mean, even bigger picture again is that, you know, this is having a positive impact mm. on society and, and women around the world. So Ralph, I think that's a, a real fitting way to end the conversation, but I just want to say um, thanks for, thanks for taking the time out and, and sharing your story and Volpara's story with us. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this interview with Ralph Heinem of Volpara Health Technologies. If you like small cap investing and you want to get the names of nine other companies that we've identified in our top 10 from the ASX, you can head to the link in your podcast player where you can register your interest in joining the RAS Rockets 2020 program. We're planning to reopen the RAS Rockets program to registered interest users only before the end of July. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to sharing the next interview with you.